Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week we are going to be discussing black-green in Crimson Vow. For any limited guru or above level patrons of patreon.com slash drafting archetypes, as always, the notes are live, so you can uh, pull those up to feel follow along if that interests you. Getting right into black-green, starting as always with how it performs and lines up in the larger metagame. Black Green is tied for the least winning and second least drafted uh, archetypes in the format, meaning that people don't play it very much, and when they do, it doesn't work very well. So, little damning. The saving grace there is it still wins uh, 53.4% of the time. I've commented in the past about how this format's pretty balanced overall. So for context, I think that's a little over 3% less than the best decks. And to give you an idea of where that lands historically, uh, red-green, the worst performing deck in Midnight Hunt, won 52.1% of the time. Blue-white and AFR, 51.2% of the time. Uh, Demir and Kaldheim, 46.9%. So... It can get a lot worse. Black green's not great here, but it's nowhere near some of the like unplayable floors that we've seen. That said, I personally have only drafted black green twice, uh, and both times it had a splash. It's not something you want to do frequently. And I think that it is something that very frequently wants to splash. It has probably the highest natural curve of any archetype. Uh, where you just want to play more expensive spells than most archetypes do, and it tends to play long games. It's not good at closing the game quickly, especially since its supported themes are like creatures with low power and high toughness, which are you know somewhat famous for not ending games. It's you know trying to be removal big guys in the mid range control kind of space. That's obviously a pretty good baseline for wanting to splash. Very normal for black green to be an archetype that's pretty interested in splashing just across formats in general. Green's obviously going to give you some fixing. Uh, In this format, if your curve is going up, it means that you're a little bit more likely to want cards like Weaver Blossoms and Heirloom and cards that both fix and ramp you. So like in this format, it's much easier to fix your mana if you're willing to essentially play additional mana sources, which black green's more willing to do. So including some of those cards to support a splash will hurt you less. And then obviously the biggest, the most important question to ask anytime you're thinking about splashing is how long are my games? Are they going to go long enough that I'm going to see enough cards that I'm going to see a source of my third color without it like meaning that I'm not seeing one of my two main colors. The longer your game is, the more likely it is that you should splash. So there's that. Also, black green has another good reason to splash, which is that there's there are particular deficiencies within black green that explain why it doesn't win very much. Black green historically in basically all formats, and this is far from an exception, has a problem with flying creatures. Traditionally, you don't have a lot of flyers. You have to rely on reach creatures and removal. And if your opponent's going at all wide with spirits, like if they're making 1-1 tokens or something, you're not going to want to have to use removal on those. 
And they're probably planning to be able to deal with one or two reach creatures. And you're not prepared to end a game quickly. So it's easy to find yourself in a spot where you're kind of like playing big threats, but you don't have time to end the game with those big threats before your opponent ends the game with their flyers. So by splashing, you can get additional efficient removal to answer some more of those flyers or additional flying creatures to block or just something to you know deal with this problem. And I would say that this, for, this problem is particularly true in this format where the only reach creature available is the sharpshooter, the 1-4 training uh, reach for three that's not particularly good as far as you know your best common reach creature goes across formats. Also, green has a relatively low amount of removal in this format. Green's not known for having a lot of removal, but just Wolf Strike is less than we've seen in some other formats. Also, Wolf Strike doesn't play very well in the low power, high toughness archetype. I've uh, had multiple opponents now use a Wolf Strike unsuccessfully on Arena because Arena display when you have an ancient lumber knot which is the creature that makes your uh creatures deal damage with their toughness um it displays that by increase showing them with an increased power but they don't actually have an increased power and when you wolf strike they still do damage based on their power so i've had opponents attempt unsuccessfully to wolf strike things that they don't have enough power to kill which is more of a careful about arena note, but also just suggests that you know those are spots where while my opponent didn't necessarily have to throw away their wolf strike, they were not able to use their wolf strike to kill my creature. And then in black, bleed dry is pretty good, but gift of fangs isn't the best removal spell. Grizzly ritual has some issues. You don't have an abundance of great removal in green black. I think that you know like red and to some extent white offer better or at least more plentiful quality removal than black does. Although black's uncommon removal is pretty good. But regardless, for a control deck that wants a lot of removal, black green can kind of struggle if you don't splash. So it's very tempting to splash for additional removal. Once you're talking about, okay, well, if I'm playing black green and I'm splashing for red removal, why are you not just playing either black or green and red? And I think that question is why we don't see that many black and green decks. The answer is, you know, if you're seeing red, red removal, maybe just play red and whichever one of those colors you're seeing. And I think the most common reason that you're going to play black or green is that you opened a black or green mythic. And whichever color the mythic isn't of black and green is maybe the color that's most open in the draft. And so you're attached to your mythic and then you draft the color that's open, which is the other one, and you find yourself in black green. Or maybe you end up with just rares of both colors. I know that for me, the times that I've drafted uh, black green, uh, one of them I had uh, Cavabrook Caretaker and the other I had Toxrill. So um, it's certainly been my experience that the reason that I would draft this archetype is because I had, you know, absolute top tier bomb. And again, I've talked about already about how uh, black green is slow, uh, you know, wants to be kind of controlling. Um, obviously, I'm uh, hesitant to go into any really controlling archetype if I don't have a really powerful card to uh, be the backbone of my control game, the card that I'm trying to find. 
And while Black Green has this like toughness theme and uh, Catapult Fodder is a good card in Black Green, I don't see Catapult Fodder or Ancient Lumbernaut as reasons to draft Black Green. They are convenient things to pick up if I'm in Black Green, but the only thing that's going to get me to draft Black Green is having a bomb but the bomb, it's not like I get a green bomb and I'm like, okay, now it's time to be black green because black green's controlling and I have a bomb, so I want to be a control deck. Like, I can, you know, play a blue green and uh, find and have like card draw to find my bomb, or I can play red or white with green and have, uh, you know, removal there to get to the bomb. There's no particular advantage to pairing black with green just because I opened a caretaker. It's more, you know, the draft has to kind of push me into it. And Uh, Just given my preferences and the fact like there aren't any cards that are not rare uh, that pull me strongly enough to get me to draft black green without a bomb being a part of it. That's to some extent a happy accident and to some extent by design because I don't want to accidentally end up in this pretty weak color combination. If there's a reason that you're going to be black green, by all means, prioritize your catapult fodders and your ancient lumbernauts. But don't say, oh, I opened an Ancient Lumberknot. That's a reason to be black green. I'm going to take it and go black green. And I say this as someone who will potentially do that with a Vile Spawn Spider in blue green, another uh, relatively like deck that people don't draft very much and don't win very much with. Um, but to me, Vile Spawn Spider is so important to a game plan that I like in a you know color combination that I don't mind because I like blue a lot. Whereas the infrastructure that I'm buying into when I take a catapult fodder is just not appealing enough for me to prioritize that and want to do it. That, you know, a little bit of that is getting into how I draft in my priorities and not necessarily stuff that I generally like to recommend for other people. But that's more to say that I don't necessarily recommend moving in on a vile spawn spider and less to say maybe for you, you should move in on an ancient lumber knot. If you are most comfortable drafting uh, black green and you've had some success and you're like, I've been taking on ancient lumber knots. I like my decks. I'm going to keep doing it. There's a chance that you're right. Anytime someone likes a thing, they have more experience than someone who doesn't like the thing. You might be doing something that's right for you. But I would still encourage you to maybe try something else. I think it's unlikely that you're supposed to just move into black green for the uncommons. I think we're already into some like individual card stuff. So there are some cards that perform pretty exceptionally in black green. In general, I think black green has appreciably different preferences about its uh, cards than other archetypes do. For example, the highest game in hand win rate uh, common in black green is Flourishing Hunter, like above bleed dry and like Diagraph Scavenger, which is, uh, you know, kind of exceptional in black white is more middling in black green. So there's some weird stuff going on. One of the weird things is that Blood Fountain, a card that sees a lot of play despite not winning very much in the format in general, actually performs very well in black green, which is interesting because it's pretty clunky to use in black green in that 
you don't really want to play a lot of cheap creatures and you're really, I think, planning to use it in the very late game to get expensive creatures back. So the fact that it's successful really points to just like how grindy black green is and the extent to which you're really looking to play long games. Another thing that really stands out is three of the top five performing commons in black green are red. A braid followed by Falconrath Celebrant followed appreciably behind by Flame Blast Bolt are the third through fifth common after Flourishing Hunter and Bleed Dry, despite the implication that you're splashing for them, meaning you're less likely to be able to uh, cast them on curve and stuff like that, which is why Flame Blast Bolt is a little bit lower. A lot of that card's value is coming from being able to use it in the early game, which you won't necessarily be able to do on your splash. This points to the strength of those cards and the fact that this archetype is pretty interested in splashing. Um, weirdly, uh, the white equivalents like... Uh, Fierce Retribution and Guardian Imprisonment do not have good win rates in green-black. For whatever reason, there's something going on with the data where there's some special sauce to the red splash that doesn't seem to be there for the white splash, and I don't have a great explanation for why that would be. The cards seem to me on paper like they should be pretty comparable. I don't know if this is a small sample size issue or what, but left is an exercise to the reader. That is an observation about something that's happening with the data. Another random data point jumping ahead a little bit that I want to touch on that call back to some discussions I've had in previous episodes. Don't play Ceremonial Knife in your green-black decks. It has the lowest win rate of any card in green-black by a lot. It's around 45% but it's been played a large number of times and it continues to be played very frequently in decks where it shouldn't be played. If you are not white, it's extremely unlikely that you should play Ceremonial Knife and green-black is definitely a bad place to do it. Your creatures are already large and you don't particularly want to discard cards uh, to blood because you want to have a lot of lands in play because you're looking to use expensive uh, cards. Uh, you don't want to play very many of the cheap creatures. It's not doing anything you would like. Don't put it in your deck. That said, there are a lot of cards in black-green that have very low win rates that I'm not convinced you shouldn't play. And this is because every two-drop that is common and is not Sporeback Wolf performs very badly in black-green. So, like, Toxic Scorpion, a card that I would generally be pretty inclined to play in black-green because it's theoretically good at buying you time in the early game and blocking so that you can get your more expensive creatures down. It feels like the right sort of creature for a defensive deck. Uh, it also, you know, potentially lets you use Wolf Strike in a deck that's otherwise potentially not great at having high-power creatures that can Wolf Strike. Should be doing some reasonably good work here. Still wins 51 point something percent of the time. You know, low enough that it shouldn't really be a consideration if you're just taking all the best cards and putting them in your deck. And then the same is true for all of the other uh, two drops. Your Ragged Recluses and the 2-2 that gets bigger when you play a human. None of those cards uh, have win rates that indicate that you should play them. That could mean you just 
play a couple of the best ones so that you have a two drop. Or it could mean maybe you are actually supposed to just not do anything on turn two. Maybe it's okay to fall behind. You're, you know, maybe if you just prioritize having some big creatures and some flourishing hunter and, uh, you know, diagraph scavengers and stuff, cards that stop you from getting attacked, give you a little bit of a life total cushion. Maybe that's the better way to go. Also, Gift of Fangs, a card that I'm generally not very high on, does have reasonable stats. Not amazing, 53.8%, so 2 to 3% higher than uh, playing two-mana creatures. And you can think of that as, you know, these, these two-mana creatures are just looking to trade for an early attacker. Gift of Fangs can do that, but it can also uh, potentially kill or invalidate a flyer that's causing problems. I've talked in general, when discussing uh, the comparison between Flame Blast Bolt and a Braid or similar cards, I've discussed that in general, I think the cheaper, more narrow removal is generally better in more controlling decks that want to use their removal just to buy time to get to the later game, while the slightly more expensive, more versatile removal is uh, relatively more important for the aggro decks that are looking to kill large creatures that are trying to block against them. So it makes sense that the most defensive deck would want the efficient narrow removal and gift of fangs, even if it's not necessarily about putting it on its own vampires. And while it is a fail state of gift of fangs that it can't be used on opposing vampires to buy you time, and that is uh, enough of a reason to keep it out of some decks, in black-green, that weakness is a little bit less important because you're more worried about evasive threats than non-evasive threats. You have no problem just blocking an aggressive vampire with your spore crawlers and your diagraph scavengers and stuff. The fact that you can't pay it, play it on vampires doesn't, doesn't necessarily matter to you as much as it might matter to a deck that's not as good at blocking on the ground as this deck is, uh, as their way of dealing with uh, vampires. You know, th there is an argument that you should just be prioritizing, you know, Gift of Fangs and Red Splash Removal or whatever, and then just, you know, defensive three drops um, instead of playing cheap creatures. Uh, I talked in another episode about, like, the number of two drops you want in general and how, like, even if you're controlling, you often want, you know, like, six two-mana plays or one, one and two-mana defensive plays to impact the board. Maybe Green Black can get away with cutting that down to four. On a related note, even something like Rural Recluse has like better stats than these two drops. And while it's not good and you're not very likely to want to play it because Hookhand Mariner, Diagraph Scavenger, and Blood Craze Socialite are all better common four mana creatures, there's something to be said for, hey, this gives me two bodies that can help me stabilize if an opponent has started out with more threats in play. You know, the 3-1 can trade with an attacker, and then the 1-1 is kind of offering a bit of a life cushion by being able to chump something. Or maybe it's just setting up, you know, an exploit with the 5-4 uh, Rotite Gargantua, I think. I do think that more often than not, you're going to just bite the bullet and play a couple of these low win rate 2-drops rather than literally never having a 2-drop. But I think that you want to play a few fewer 2-drops than you would in most archetypes. Grizzly Ritual is probably slightly underplayed in the archetype. You are more likely to have ramp, which means that you're more likely to be a little bit mana heavy. 
I mentioned that you don't really need to prioritize blood because you are happy to play some more expensive spells, so it's less important to discard lands early. But you're playing long games with decks that have high mana source counts, so it's definitely possible to get to the point where you might flood out. Grizzly Ritual can help with that. You're also just in the market for more removal, especially hard removal. Anytime you're trying to play a long game in this format, you're very likely to play against some bombs. You really can't have too many good answers to them. So given that you are planning to have six mana in play anyway, Grizzly Ritual is a pretty good card to include in your deck. Very small note, Brambleworm and Infestation Expert are, in general, the two top performing green uncommons. Infestation Expert performs a couple points of a percent better than Brambleworm in general. Brambleworm performs a couple points of a percent better than Infestation Expert in green-black. Green-black obviously really values the life gain, the reach. Infestation Expert's a more aggressive creature that black-green is less concerned with. Also, having been on the uh, bad end of like, oh, I'm playing some kind of like red-green deck or some other deck that doesn't have a way to exile Brambleworm, and my opponent just plays Brambleworm with a Blood Fountain in play, it basically feels impossible to win. It's like, well, in order to kill you, I have to kill your blood, your Brambleworm, but when I do that, you get to play another Brambleworm, and I didn't really know how I was going to beat the first one, so guess we're done here. That is a combo that isn't necessarily good or important in all matchups, but I think that a decent portion of Black Green's success that doesn't come from rares does come from in the spots where your opponent is not good at beating the things that Brambleworm and Flourishing Hunter offer you. Green Black's ability to keep presenting that effect through just like having more of them using blood to find them and getting them back with blood fountain just really buries the people who can't keep up with that kind of big stuff and you want to lean into that enough that you're like getting those wins like if you go long against a red green deck you shouldn't ever lose and you want to play the cards that mean you're never losing that matchup Mulch is another card that I'm pretty inclined to play in black-green, even though it doesn't have a very good win rate. And that's because I uh, am more likely to play Blood Fountain, more likely to be playing black-green when I have bombs, and more likely to be splashing. And so the fact that the combo of Blood Fountain and Mulch let you dig for the purposes of finding a creature, because if you mill a creature, then you can get it back with a blood fountain. It means that that combo gives me extra looks to find my creature bombs, and then also extra looks to find my splash color. And also, you're not looking to play a lot of two drops. So mulch fits pretty smoothly into your curve. So I believe that it's doing a lot of good work. Uh, the stats suggest that people don't win more when they play it, but... I also don't know that they're, you know, putting it in the right sorts of decks, that they're not playing it as a sixth two-mana or seventh two-mana play or whatever, or that, you know, maybe they're playing it some portion of the time when they're not splashing and it's not worth it or whatever, playing it when they don't have Blood Fountain. For me, the way that I draft this deck, despite the stats, I have played Mulch both of the times that I've played Black Green with a Splash, 
and I expect that I would be reasonably likely to do that again. Worth noting, pointed discussion, while it was super exceptional in black uh, white, is filler in black green. Black white plays a much lower to the ground game uh, where you're way more likely to like empty your hand with good one to three mana plays and then want to use pointed discussion to gas up. Whereas in black green, you're going to be not doing stuff early and you're going to have action and uh, pointed discussion is likely just doing damage to you to hit lands to play. There's a really good chance that when you're tempted to put pointed discussion in a black green deck, a lot of the reason you're doing it is you're like, well, I want to hit land six so that I can cast my Flourishing Hunter on turn six and point of discussion will help me do that. In that spot, you should just play an 18th land. Then you'll be able to play a creature on turn three, so you won't need to play a two drop to uh, defend yourself before you play your point of discussion. You can cut the bad two drop play, and then just try to you know curve out three, four, five, six um, by playing an extra land playing fewer low-impact cards and less air, and just jamming your deck full of high-impact three- to six-mana creatures, skip the card draw, skip the low-impact stuff. I think that's going to be the more effective way to build the deck than trying to have a curve where pointed discussion is going to work out. And then, you know, if you play some Grizzly Rituals, you don't need to worry about so much about flooding out, and now you don't need actual two-for-ones because... Your flourishing hunter is just a two for one because your opponent has to use two removal spells to like you know a creature and a pump spell to trade with it or whatever or um, you know it's somewhere along the lines your more powerful cards are going to get um, more than their share of value they're going to invalidate or trade with multiple small creatures and you're just going to count on the power of each of your cards rather than the like number of cards that you have when you're in this space. So you can afford to deprioritize card draw even while you're prioritizing removal, using blood to make sure that you don't flood out, and then just recognizing that because you're not uh, incentivized to play as many cheap things, um, you're going to fall behind on the board, so you don't want to take a turn off for card draw. So just play the extra land so you can make your land drops and play your impactful cards and... I think that's kind of the key to this archetype. You know, putting yourself in a spot where you're not taking turns off late so that you can take turns off early by just not putting low impact cards in your deck. And then um, you'll just draw gas throughout the late game and then you'll like win this longer game. You know, Spore Crawler, Falcon Wrath Celebrant, Flourishing Hunter, Blood Craze Socialite. You have value all over the place. You know, it looks a little bit different and that's fine. And now, having talked through the fact that you don't want card draw and why you don't want card draw, I think I've kind of talked myself back around to having a better understanding of why all the two drops don't perform well and the fact that I really do think you want a really low number of two drops. So I think I think that was a little bit useful for me. So I, I hope it was also useful for you. So that's going to wrap up the lecture portion. If you've had any questions uh, while I've been talking, now's a great time to hit me with those in chat. And uh, thank you to uh, my new patrons over at patreon.com slash drafting archetypes, uh, DJ and Cancer. Uh, 
Shout out to Cancer, a friend of mine from college who I haven't talked to for a long time. Didn't know he was still playing Magic. Glad to uh, see he found the podcast and uh, really appreciate it. First question related to the Mulch and Blood Fountain combo. Does Edgar's Awakening uh, fit into the deck archetype? It's not like it's an exceptional card in Black Green in general, but if you are doing that Mulch thing and you have you know, mythics, mythic creatures. And ideally you also have some blood to do the normal good Edgar's Awakening thing. That can certainly be like a good sub theme. It's not, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, in general, you should be prioritizing Edgar's Awakening in your black green decks because honestly it functions more similarly to card draw a lot of the time that I play it in black red where I trade off early or just like use a blood and discard a creature and then use a blood and discard that, uh, get get kind of a two for one. And because you're not looking to prioritize, you know, spending mana to put cards in your hand, that's often what, you know, half of Edgar's Awakening is doing. As far as like using it just as a reanimation spell, that's only very contextually powerful. You know, you need a creature that's worth at least five mana to have died to make that a good play and it's not all that likely that a five mana creature has died on turn five and if it's a five drop that can't happen until after turn five it needs to be better than other five drops would be and most of the time that's not going to be the case now if you have like oh i have like three flourishing hunters and two bramble worms and a bunch of blood and a mulch and some portion of the time i can discard my like I can, you know, get a creature in the graveyard and discard my Edgar's Awakening for value. And some other portion of the time I can discard my Bramble Worm and then Edgar's Awakening it into play on turn five. And sometimes I might mulch a Flourishing Hunter. Like if there are a bunch of different use cases that all sound pretty good, maybe you can play it. But most of the time, it's not something you want to prioritize here. Next question. How many mulches do you run? Usually one. Could see two. Definitely never three. Because it's in this weird spot where it's, you know, basically just a mana source. Like what it's doing is it's giving you land, but you don't want to cut land for it because that decreases the chance that you hit hit land off of it. You never want to be like, oh, I'll cut a land to play my third mulch. And now the other two mulches that I'm playing aren't as good as they would have been. So it's definitely a less is more kind of card, massive diminishing returns on your mulches. So if you end up in that kind of, but then the flip side of that is, well, it's a card that has synergies, right? Like it's this plan that you're building where you're like, well, I want mulch and blood fountain and that's how I'm finding my bomb. And now it's like, well, if I'm playing these blood fountains to combine with my mulches as a way to dig for my bombs, don't I want more mulches? So I'm doing more digging. And the answer is, well, you still need to be careful about the natural diminishing returns on mulches. And then it's not like you're only playing the blood fountain because of the mulch. Blood fountain's a, like effective card in this archetype anyway. So... Less is more. Be careful with your mulches. Don't play a lot of them. And I mean, if you play zero, it's not going to, you won't really suffer if you don't put a mulch in your deck. You know, it's, it's win rate is low. If you're not sure if it's like when in doubt, don't play it is going to be like a safer way to approach mulch. Just tuned in is wedding invitation. Good here. I didn't check its exact stats, but uh, it didn't show up on my like list of you know uh cards that win more than the deck wins on average so it might be acceptable filler but it's certainly not good the idea that it you know is a way to spend two mana 
while you don't have a two mana play and then the life gain matters is valid. The problem is you are playing a long game and your curve is high. And if you draw it after turn two, you're not going to find a smooth window to play it and it's going to gum things up problematically. So it makes sense to me for those reasons that it wouldn't perform all that well. Also, you have other ways to get that kind of like late life burst to like get you out of, you know, the danger zone if you get beat down a little bit early. And so I think it's just better to rely on those. Next question. I think dig up is good in some decks, decks with a lot of uh, powerful cards in different roles, but it has a low win rate. What do I think? I think that four is a lot of mana for a tutor, but lay of the land is a pretty good source of fixing for a three color deck. And certainly being able to tutor is big free value. So I think if you are playing more than two colors and or have truly ridiculous bombs, then it's very good. If you are reasonably likely to search for a common with it and not very likely to use it for fixing, it's probably not something you should take at a time when you would see it in a pack. Next question, given the significance of Mariner and Hunter to the deck, I'm surprised by the poor stats of Might and Wedding Invite. Would those be decent ways to help finish games? You should not be thinking about how to finish games while building your black-green deck. You should be thinking about how to stay alive, and you should expect that when you have a bunch of like flourishing Hunters on the battlefield, it doesn't matter if you give them evasion or trample, you can just attack again with them next turn if you're at the point where you're attacking. So the, the cards that help just like actually end a game one turn sooner, but don't help very much defensively, it's not surprising to me that they wouldn't really have a place here. Notably, Witch's Web does have pretty good stats. It's about the same as Gift of Fangs, so better than like the two mana creatures and stuff. And here, I think it's really just trying to function as like the uh, kill a flyer enchantment card. Like it's trying to ki uh, be kill a flyer that's a little bit less narrow, where it can also, you know, kill some other creature or whatever. Like you can use it as a trick, but a lot of its win percentage is likely coming from the fact that it gives reach. Next question, which mana fixers should I prioritize? More specific question, if I have a red card and want to splash, should I play Nature's Embrace if it's my only mana fixer? Ah, uh, no. Try <laughs> try not to play Nature's Embrace. I mean, you want your fixers to be Reclusive Taxidermist, then Weaver of Blossoms, Evolving Wilds, probably Forbidden Statue's fine. Forbidden Statue's a pretty good one. Then Heirloom. Nature's Embrace is like meaningfully worse than Heirloom because it doesn't give you the one mana right away and the graveyard exiling that heirloom offers is actually pretty meaningful i have played nature's embrace uh it's not very good next question is about pointed discussion i'm going to try to answer this quickly because i have discussed it some i've always avoided pointed discussion what decks is it supposed to do well in is green black one of them green black is the worst deck for it it is very good in black-white, solid in black-red, 
a little bit weaker, but okay in blue-black and like middling to actively bad in green-black. The basic thing that you're looking for is lower curve, more good for pointed discussion. Life gain helps, but the biggest variable is just the lower your curve is, the more you want it. I mentioned bombs as a reason. Well, also the more one-for-ones. You need to have both a low curve and be looking for card draw. Low curve, not aggressive, is specifically where you want pointed discussion. And it's less low curve as in not having expensive stuff, more low curve as in having a lot of cheap stuff. I should clarify. Cheap one-for-ones in particular, when you're playing a small attrition game, that's where pointed discussion is at its best. I mentioned bombs as a reason to get into black-green. Uh, this might be a reason to give a bit more weight. Back to the card draw. Get what your, where your head's at there. That makes sense, but also no. Um, like, I understand that you're saying, oh, well, I have this really good card, so shouldn't I play card draw so that I can try to find it? And the answer is just, like, play a blocker, live for an extra turn, draw it naturally. Instead of, you know, seeing a card deeper, just see a card later on because you are still alive to do it. You know, card draw is not necessarily the best way to see more cards in the course of a game. If you, you know, die because you took a turn off three turns earlier than you would have, you played a blocker and traded and bought 15 life because they didn't hit you a bunch, you see more cards than you did if you didn't do that. Would Heirloom be better in black-green than other archetypes? Sometimes. The danger with Heirloom compared to, like, Weaver is that Weaver can, uh, like, the turn that you play it, it can block a two-drop or stop a two-drop from attacking, which Heirloom doesn't do. So Heirloom is a card that needs you to be able to account for the fact that you took a turn off when you played it. An easy way to account for that is by getting ahead first. So playing like a Toxic Scorpion, then you can afford to play the Heirloom. And then after that, playing like an Infestation Expert. If you do, if that's your curve, you won't feel it. It'll be like you didn't take a turn off because you didn't fall behind because you had the early blocker and then the Infestation Expert caught you up. But if you are on, you know, nothing into heirloom and then your deck has more fives than, more fours than fives and you just play a hook hand mariner the next turn you're really going to feel that you took a turn off on three and now you're like way behind and you probably lose and because green black is not looking to play a lot of twos it's going to be hard for you to be able to afford to cast heirloom on three in that way heirloom is not better in green black the only reason Heirloom would be better in green-black is just that you're more desperate for the fixing or something. But no, my, my guess is honestly, I, I have not dug deep into the stats on Heirloom, but I, I think that you're hoping to fix with other stuff. Prioritize the other cards and try to avoid Heirloom here. Is Taxidermist an even higher priority given the bad other two drops? My inclination is absolutely yes, but I will note that Taxidermist across the board has lower stats than um, I would have expected it to. I don't, I don't really know what to say about that. It is better than all the other fixing, but I would have expected it to be more of a premium uncommon, and it's more of a like, more like a premium common. If flying creatures are such a weakness to black green, how often should we be made a crushing canopy in best of one? Uh, should we save our try to save our black removal instead? Yeah, if you have black removal, then you shouldn't need to play Crushing Canopy. And if you can in any way afford to 
be particular about what you kill with your removal than you should be, just like as a rule. And certainly in when you're being particular about how to use your removal, the way that you do that is you look at a threat that's you know presented and you say, well, I could kill this, but do I have to? Is there another card in my hand that's going to invalidate this or trade with that without me needing to use a removal spell? So if they have like a 2-2 creature and you have you know a removal spell or you could just play a 3-3 or a 4-4 that blocks it, don't use the removal spell, just play the blocker and hold it off. And so you should certainly be looking to do that as much as possible, even if it's well, I have to take one more hit before I get to play my blocker because uh, the blocker is more expensive than the removal spell, but then I'll play the blocker and I think it'll be okay. And like there are some times where your opponent's really aggressive and you could try to play a blocker or you could play a removal spell to answer their creature. And it's right to play the removal spell because if you play the blocker and your opponent has their own removal spell to clear the blocker, you'll take the extra damage and you can't afford to take that damage. This format doesn't tend to be that aggressive. You should generally be able to afford to try to protect yourself with creatures rather than taking the safer route of trying to protect yourself with removal. And certainly if you're playing green-black and you're against a color that might have a flyer, if they might have a flyer, they're less likely to have a removal spell just based on like the way the color pie works. And so it's more likely that you should try to you know, play a blocker rather than trying to use your removal spell is the way that you try to preserve your life total and turn the corner there. How much of I found myself main deck and canopy when somewhat short on other removal? So like hypothetically, it's something I would do. How much have I tried to, have I found myself doing it? I think I literally have never done it myself personally, though I can't imagine doing it. You found, next comment, I found Witch's Web to be better than canopy. That is not surprising and is supported by the stats. Next question is, do you splash minister? Which uh, <laughs> is respectable. So in general, you should not splash one mana creatures. They tend to be a lot weaker in the late game. Minister in particular, I respect the question. Uh, it is a card that is good later in the game still. It continues to function. Digging you out of a hole is you know, a reasonable thing to do. It's certainly more reasonable to splash than other one mana creatures. I do not mean for that answer to communicate to anybody that they should splash minister. Certainly you should not splash white to splash minister. I can't say hard no to this because as it happens, this question was asked while I am in the middle of a run where I'm 4-0 with a red black deck that is somewhere between splash and white and solid three color that played white for two retributions and imprisonment. So I'm splashing white for three removal spells, but then I had a bunch of evolving wilds and I figured, well, as long as I'm here, I'm going to play this minister. And then as long as I'm doing that, I'm going to play this Heron of Hope. And so I am at this exact moment in some ways splashing a minister. However, <laughs> I would not recommend doing that. <laughs> well, this might be a bit of a do as I say, not as I do, but no, don't splash, don't splash minister. And also it's, it's just funny that I happen to be sort of doing it right now. Next question. I've said earlier in the format that splashing is something that you should try to avoid. Have my opinions changed? No, 
you should both avoid splashing and avoid black green. But these are two bad tastes that go well together. Black green is an archetype that wants to splash based on its structure and ability and inabilities and looking to make up for the fact that it's just like not very good and the other colors are better. So when you're playing the stuff you shouldn't be playing, you should do some things that other colors shouldn't do and (laughs) it's okay to splash here. Kanzer says in chat, if your colors are bad, you want to splash other colors instead. Or sometimes maybe just play the other colors. You know, whatever. Thanks, everyone. That's going to do it for this week. We are definitely scraping the bottom of the barrel here in terms of number of archetypes to cover and my opinion of their quality. So sorry uh, if anyone's losing steam on this format or the weaker episodes here definitely a function of uh just the magic schedule and the fact that wizards has this long holiday break and things can kind of bog down around new year's in the magic calendar we don't get another set for quite a while still here so we're gonna we're gonna cover all the archetypes and then we're still going to have to figure out some other stuff to talk about uh, before we get to the new set. So I guess I'm looking forward to tackling the challenge of what other stuff we're going to discuss in the meantime. And that's that's where the podcast's at, just based on what I've how I've chosen to structure things and the extent to which I'm a little bit at the whim of the set release cycles. Anyway, that's it. I'll be back next week with one of the last two archetypes. And Happy New Year. See you all in the next year. Bye.